Welcome to the Leader Byte Podcast, hosted by Chester Goat. Bite-sized conversations about leadership, learning, and life. Any topic is fair game here, because committed leaders bring it all to the table. Here's your host, Chester Goad. Hey, what's up, everybody? We have a great show for you today. LeaderBot listeners out there, I like to take people's story and weave their experiences with leadership through that story. This is a perfect example of someone taking their own personal leadership to another level, and not only taking their own leadership to another level, but also encouraging others to do the same. Uh, for the sake of this conversation, to put it in context a little bit, we're going to be talking about leadership and homelessness. And Alan Graham is the president, CEO, and founder of Mobile Loves and Fishes, which has been doing some really amazing things. Uh, his recent book, Welcome Home. Less. I'm going to let him explain the title a little bit in a minute. Uh, One Man's Journey of Discovering the Meaning of Home. Alan Graham, welcome to the Leader Byte Podcast. Hey, uh, Chester, awesome to be on. Thank you so much for including me in this opportunity. Oh, it's important stuff. I love what you're doing. So if you don't mind, bring the listeners uh, and readers up to speed a little bit, a little bit on who you are and what you're doing right now. Well, um, as you said, I'm Alan Graham, and I founded Mobile Loads and Fishers in 1998, and it really began with uh, what I used to euphemistically call five white guys from Westlake Hills, kind of our <laughs> high-income neighborhood here in Austin, thinking that we're going to go out and save the world sure, uh, and taking stuff out to the men and women that were on the streets. And it, it really began with the idea of, of taking a catering truck from those <laughs> Uh, of us that have abundance down onto the streets of Austin uh, to deliver stuff to to people that lack abundance. That is fantastic. And it, it's been that it's been a powerful journey uh, that's uh, basically led led us 19 years later to be where we are uh, today, which is I think. Uh, what we believe very powerfully creating a new movement in the United States called Community First, how to more effectively uh, deal uh, with this issue of homelessness that we see yeah. uh, on, our, on our street corners. Yeah, I can't wait to get in that. But but um, you started out in business and real estate, right? Can you take us and give us a little bit of perspective on what caused you to leave that arena? Well, um, I got into the real estate business in 19... 19- uh, 78. I dropped out of the University of Texas uh, and learned how to spell and pronounce the word entrepreneur. <laughs> and uh, and um, I got into the real estate business, ultimately started developing real estate. And toward the end of my career in the 90s, uh, early <laughs> 2000s, was developing air cargo facilities on airports around the U.S. Oh, wow. Uh, but in 19... Uh, 96, I ended up having this uh, spiritual revelation, uh, you know, where I went on this men's retreat Mm -hmm. uh, given by men uh, for men and had a pretty profound encounter uh, at that point in time with the Holy Spirit. And and I just began to ask God, what do you want me to do, man? What is it... uh, uh, that I could do to advance the kingdom, not not to get out of the real estate business. Heck, uh, my career at that point was uh, starting to to really take off. Right. In 1999, eight, he put on my heart uh, the vision uh, for mobile loads and fishes, or at least the, uh, the the spark that is now driven to what we now know is the vision. Um, and I, you know, Chester, I just got into this hook, line, and sinker, man. It was. Uh, 
and I didn't want to do anything else. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It just uh, well, I think that's, that's when that's when you find your purpose. That's that inexplainable thing. I think um, I hear so many people talk about that. Just that feeling of uh, of peace when they become productive in their purpose. Um, I have to tell you, I've I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. We've had to reschedule a couple times. So I believe that many people have been touched by homelessness in some way and that homelessness is, I know it's a lot more complex than the average non-homeless person might think or even want to want to believe. Um, I have a close family member who was homeless for a period of time. He's working now and he's doing great, but were you touched personally by homelessness or how did this how did this topic become a point of personal interest to you um i think uh it became of interest to me because you know i think god uh, chooses uh people that are ill-equipped to do something but chose me in this endeavor uh because i i have kind of an intractable personality. Uh, <laughs> if I if I get on point on something, I, I'm not walking away from it. Right. And the the issue of homelessness in our respective communities is is in, intractable. Mm. But I got to tell you, now that I look back in the 2020 rearview mirror, my mother was profoundly mentally ill, mm. uh, suffered many long term institutionalizations in the hospital. Uh, and my younger brother uh, battles mental health issues as well as, uh, uh, you know, drug addiction mm-hmm. uh, as well. And he's experienced quite a bit of uh, a bit of homelessness. So and, and then my childhood, Chester, was pretty dysfunctional. My father left us when I was four years old. Um, uh, you know, he didn't like uh, completely abandon us. But in, in effect, when he left my mom and, and, and divorced us, me and my brothers were pretty much alone so in a lot of ways there's a homelessness uh even though i had a house right right no i know exactly what you mean yeah yeah well i'm really well, I think, yeah go ahead i was just gonna say I, i'm happy with all you're doing i've been reading about it and uh, doing a little bit of research and uh, i'm really I think when you have a little bit of personal experience, I don't think you have to have personal experience to minister, but I think when you do have it, um, it, it really adds so much more to that that feeling of, like you said, taking something and running with it because you, you've experienced it and you want people to to um, experience a, a better life or a better way um, because that's something that, that you've experienced too. Um, Anyway, I'm really happy that you're that you're doing all this, and thankful for everything that you're done, um, and everything that you discuss in your book. Tell me about the name for a little bit for those leaderbot listeners out there. The book title is "Welcome Home Less." It's like with the less crossed out. That's a creative way to title the book. Tell me about that, and was that your decision to do that? Uh, that was not my decision. Uh, I, I now see that decision as a brilliant uh, decision. Uh, the ri- the original uh, title that was submitted to the publishers was I Am Here. Mm. And uh, uh, and because I'm a, a first-time, no-name uh, author, uh, a publisher of the magnitude of HarperCollins has uh, a lot of leverage and say, and sure. thank God they did. I, I really valued them. They came up with the name Welcome Homeless. I can tell you at first I didn't. I didn't cotton to it. Now I'm. Uh, <laughs> I look at it as a as a pretty pretty brilliant. But to me, it has two meanings. Uh, first of all, the word "less" being crossed out is "welcome home," and the book 
is a, is a journey uh, through my relationships with a number of men and women uh, and trying to connect the true meaning of home, which has nothing to do with the house. Right. Uh, in that book. But um, Welcome Homeless is also kind of a paradigm shift of, that I want our country to begin to rethink that if we if we cease treating these men and women like the despised, outcast, vile people that we make them out to be, right. and, in, and instead be uh, adopting a welcome environment mm-hmm. uh, uh, for them, that really that's what's going to move the needle and not the, uh, not the opposite uh, uh, banning them from... Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and I think I'm with you. I think that's a brilliant title and a brilliant way to present that title too. Let's discuss mobile loaves and fishes for a second. You you touched on it in the very beginning, but let's let's discuss that the origin of that organization. Well, uh, it started. Uh, you know, it really goes back into about 1996, 97 when I was part uh, of an effort to start delivering sack lunches to one of the day labor sites uh, in downtown Austin Mm -hmm. uh, for men and women uh, that were homeless that would get a job for the day but needed uh, needed a lunch. Um, And then my wife and I were having coffee with a girlfriend in about the spring of 98 uh, where the girlfriend was telling us about a ministry in Corpus Christi, Texas, where on cold winter nights, multiple churches would come together, pool their resources uh, to take out to the men and women that were on the streets Uh of Corpus. And Chester, at that moment, the image of a catering truck Mm -hmm. uh, entered my brain as that distribution mechanism. And uh, and being the, uh, you know, the serial uh, entrepreneur uh, that I am, I just couldn't get that idea out of my brain. <laughs> well, you know, and that was that was before its time, really, because these man food trucks are everywhere these days. And so, to be thinking back then in the terms of you know catering and catering to the homeless, that was a that's a pretty um, progressive for the time thing to think about. Uh, yeah, and so I think we were the first out there, really, on that uh, that whole food truck uh, deal, and. Uh, uh, man, has it been uh, joyful. We've planted over 20 trucks around the, the United States, served five and a half million meals. But there were really three things about that truck, Chester, that are really important. Okay. Number one, that truck goes to where you are as opposed to hurting you to some soup kitchen. I like it, yeah. Number two, that truck goes out with brand new, store-bought, uh, fresh food items mm-hmm. that you get to make a choice from. And then the third most powerful item is that those that are serving and those that are being served are on the same side of the serving counter. And it, it mandates an intimate human-to-human, heart-to-heart connection. Right. And that turned out to be uh, – and we didn't know that going into it. We just learned that along the way. Yeah, well, I think you just uh, you start small. You know, I just read last night. You know, if you want to move a mountain, you got to small start with um, small pebbles. I think that was Confucius, and I and I really like that. You know, you start small, and you just never know um, how awesome God is going to work in it if you're diligent with it. So, um, but you've been working for some time to empower cities really across the country in order to look at their approach to homelessness in a different way. How 
how do you work to help people change their perception regarding homelessness or to re-envision solutions or to even envision solutions for homelessness? Well, uh, it first begins with our vision uh, statement, which is that we empower communities into a lifestyle of service with the homeless. Uh, and that, that, that in and upon itself is a paradigm shift from, hey, let's end homelessness, let's build housing to end homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our, our deal is a movement from the transactional side of trying to uh, mitigate homelessness to a relationship side. Yes. And, and, and that's that right there all by itself is what's sparking so much interest in what we're doing because it's it's like an aha moment for people that you just can't take people and stuff them into some housing something somewhere and expect them to be happy exactly Uh, exactly i love i love that whole notion of the difference between transactional and relational because that makes me think of you know I'm a big supporter of uh, mission work, and um, and I, you know I have lots of friends who have worked around the world doing all sorts of mission things. But I have a great appreciation for missions perspectives of building community and relationships rather than just I mean one and done things are great. Don't get me wrong; I don't discount those. That's important too. But those opportunities to go in and really change something and empower something and build communities, I really like that. Well, we have uh, we have folks that, that are now living in the village who have relationships with men and women that they met fifteen years ago on a food truck. Right, right. That's a that's a fifteen year relationship. It's not a catch and release, fix and repair model. Mm. It's it's a catch and keep. Yeah, like that. Now, I read though that when you started your homeless ministry, that you kind of you realize it, it was flawed a little bit. What were the flaws that you saw or experienced with that? I think um, probably what I was alluding to is that I think we were just ill-equipped. Okay. That um, our understanding of homelessness uh, was completely wrong. Um, uh, our understanding that you could go and uh, get a job and then come up off the streets and, uh, and and have an apartment complex in some city and a car payment uh, that 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 wasn't gonna that that wasn't gonna happen. Right. I, I I came into it with business skills, but I didn't come into it with with an understanding. Right. And so what I started doing was uh, I adopted a philosophy that I wanted to know every man and woman living on the streets in Austin on a first-name basis. Mm. And in order to do that, I had to go uh, spend a lot of time on the streets and, in fact, spending the night with them. And I probably, I'm at around 150 nights, you know, uh, nearly a half a year Uh in the past 14 years of sleeping with my friends Uh uh, where they they slept. And I began to learn uh, some powerful stuff. Uh, from them, and that, that's kind of the equip, equipping. And, and most people go into this uh, from an intellectual basis, mm-hmm. uh, but th- they don't go into it. And so the flawed nature uh, is the intellectual side of how we're going to solve this problem uh, gotcha. rather than going to the relationship side. Well, one of the things that leaders do, let's get it, let's put this in a leadership context. One of the things that leaders do is they surround themselves with competent people, especially people who have experience dealing with whatever the problem is they're trying to solve. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about your relationship with a man named Houston Flake and how he impacted your endeavors to serve homeless people. Well, at about the time, Houston was born in 1955, the same year that I was born. Uh, he was born uh, to, you know, a very impoverished, uh, off and on homeless mom and dad. Houston was homeless. Uh, most of his life was uh, uh, functionally illiterate, couldn't read, uh, and uh, spent uh, a number of time in uh, prisons in different states, uh, a drug addict, uh, alcoholic, uh, at times, um, ended up being kind of dusted off and ended up on staff at my church in uh, probably about 1997. Oh, wow. The second member of our custodial staff. Mm. So when the, the five white guys are business planning <laughs> uh, uh, this deal, one of them had the wisdom to go, you know, maybe we ought to see if Houston would be available to come and spend some time. Mm -hmm. And That's great. So what to you, though, it seems like you're somebody who, um, like me, you, you really value connections with people. But what to you is the value of connection and why is it why is the concept of community so important when you're trying to do these sorts of things? Well, I learned uh, from my childhood of dysfunctional, uh, broken family, uh, uh, moving back and forth. Uh, between my father and stepmother and my, my mom uh, to my uh, current situation of uh, 33 years married, 33 years in the same house, raising four children and a niece uh, in that home, uh, being involved in all the school scouting, sporting uh, activities, uh, and, and I learned a lot. Right along along that journey about what it means to be home, to be rooted uh, in a place, mm. and mm. Uh, and I think uh, that's that's had that impact. And knowing how primal that is for you and I, this desire to be fully and wholly loved and to be fully and wholly known, absolutely, and to know yeah. that that everybody desires that. Yeah, in your book, you tell a story about a time when you were out. You're out in the desert, and I don't remember the full story, but you became, you were out in the desert, and you became really hungry, and you realized while you were out there this analogy between human hunger and spiritual hunger or the church, and, and you mentioned in there that the gospel had gone vegan. That, that, I found that very interesting. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, um, this was during Lent, and I'm on a retreat in Mexico with a bunch of Franciscan mendicants. And every day we're eating rice and beans and uh, and scrambled eggs and corn tortillas. And by the fourth day of this retreat, I'm sick of rice and beans and scrambled <laughs> eggs. Sure. And and I, I looked over at my buddy as we're walking out in the middle of nowhere uh, in the state of Hildago and, and said that I would love an order of fajitas. And look, that, that desire was impossible. <laughs> right. In, in our mind, and we just started laughing about it, and then uh, that led into the conversation that I think we needed more meat on the bone of our churches, that mm. uh, 
We're mm-hmm. going to church. We're hearing the gospel. And then we're leaving, and we end up at Macaroni Grill and spending the day on the lake and not really implementing implementing what it is that Christ is calling us to do. Mm. And that's kind of where the gospel concarnate, the gospel with me, yeah. <laughs> began to, to evolve. That, man, if you really want to encounter, for us, the risen Christ, and no matter what faith tradition you come from, mm-hmm. to encounter what is, it is that you believe in deeply, um, you most profoundly do that through uh, men and women that have that gone through a great deal of suffering. And for right. us, uh, in our city, is the chronically homeless. So uh, get, get out of the pews and get out onto the streets and start loving uh, on the intractables and go find uh, 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 the risen Christ or, or, or what you believe in deeply in those intractable people. So uh, tell me for a minute how do you how do you personally define home or what does it what does it mean to be home well i think uh, within the phenomenology of home there are eight characteristics uh first home is a place of permanence Mm. Uh, hence uh, my childhood uh back and forth no rootedness now 33 years of rootedness home is a dwelling place it's that place that when you and i cross over the threshold we we liquefy and, mm. and become a part of uh that space home is a place of embodied inhabitation if you come to my home of 33 years you'll see all the stuff from the kids and the handprints on the kiln fired you know things that they made the father's day mugs that they kiln fired <laughs> right. coffee or water yeah mm. Uh, including uh, the thing in the kitchen where we used to measure the kids as they were growing up. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and today, today they measure me because I've actually shrunk. <laughs> I uh, think I am too. Yeah. yeah. And home <laughs> is a place of hospitality. If you come to my house, man, I'm going to unfold unbelievable hospitality, and we all do. Mm-hmm. Home is a place of safety and refuge. Uh, I feel the safest of any place on the planet inside my home. Uh, home is a place of stories and memories, and it's often said that the mortar that holds the bricks of even the most impoverished home together are the stories and memories that flow from that home. Uh, and then yeah. seventh, home is a place of orientation. No matter where I've been in the world, my compass is always oriented to Austin, Texas. Mm. And then last and not least, and very powerful, home is a place of affiliation and belonging Mm -hmm. Uh, and it just turns out that you and i like to be around people that have uh, shared values to to you and i it's not that we don't go outside of that we do but exactly right yeah and uh, so if you've experienced homelessness mental health issues drug addictions that kind of stuff uh there's a lot of shared values with uh, other people that have done the same right that's that's fantastic all right so Let's touch on leadership just a little bit more. I ask most of the people that I interview to give me their ideas or their thoughts or on challenges facing current leaders. So in your case, you're doing a lot of social outreach. You're really trying to make an impact as a leader in a relational way, like you mentioned. Is it, can you give me a couple of challenges that are facing those in leadership, um, especially as it might relate to leaders who are working you know, as advocates and social outreach like you're doing in the circumstances that you're working in? Well, um, I think great leaders 
come out of every conceivable personality type. So you could be uh, the greatest introvert on the planet to, uh, you know, the extrovert personality, which I'm, I'm cut out of that extroverted uh, <laughs> deal. But I think uh, great leaders uh, are people that have a laser-focused vision, mission, strategy, core values, and goals. And that's what we have here at, at Bobolos and Fishes. And our invitation uh, to people is an invitation into that vision. Um, and, and once you step into that vision and you believe in that vision, I cut you loose to do whatever it is that you want to do. Right. Uh, that, that's the bottom line. And that's, that's where I think uh, my strongest leadership gift is because I, I brought to the table what I call a mustard seed of an idea, this community first village thing. But if you realized how many people have poured into this, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and, and I think that's the strongest uh, uh, leadership quality, no matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Be focused on what it is that you're doing and then uh, invite other people into that vision. Well, that's right. And you touched a little bit about um, on your faith and, and um, our faith and things like that. Um, how does faith affect the ability to face challenges that a leader is faced with? Well, um, uh, you know, obviously I am a... Uh, a Christian, a strong believer. Uh, I, uh, I believe that all of that, that I am and all that I have is this unbelievable uh, gift uh, from the Creator. Uh, I love Him, and I, I do everything uh, because of that. And every time I've been down what I might perceive as road bumps along the way to getting here, uh, I, I realize it's, it's Him navigating me. Uh, and equipping me uh, all along the way. Uh, and sometimes what looks like the Grand Canyon uh, to cross in front of us turns out to be a little hairline crack mm. in the sidewalk as I look back uh, over that. And mm. so faith, faith plays uh, an extraordinary role in what I, what I do. Sure. We're about to wrap up. So besides the book and promoting that, what's coming up for you uh, in the next little bit? What are you up to? Well, um, we uh, hope to be at close to full occupancy in our in our 27 acres that I have uh, here by the end of the year, uh, and then we own 24 acres uh, next door that I'm in the middle of uh, planning, and that's about a 20 million dollar uh, project. And uh, and so between that, uh, uh, getting getting the existing village uh, operationally tight, uh, planning the uh, the second phase of that village in this book, uh, my my platter is pretty uh, joyfully overloaded. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Well, how do people connect with you or stay connected or even learn more about what you're doing? Well, they can uh, go to our website at mlf.org, uh, and I'm A-L-A-N at mlf.org, and they can uh, uh, friend me on uh, on Facebook, uh, Alan Graham, uh, and then I also have a uh, author page called at the Alan Graham on Facebook. Mobile okay. Ocean Fishes uh, has uh, uh, a Facebook page, and you can follow that. Uh, and then there's Twitter and 
Instagram and all that stuff, which uh, is somewhat out of my wheelhouse, but uh, I believe in it all. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm all over. I'm all over social network. I love it. Uh, I just feel like it's connected people in lots of great ways. Um, all right. Well, I really appreciate you um, having you on. I'm going to put some of the links that you mentioned in the show notes today so that those who are listening, if they're interested, they can go there and click on that. But I appreciate having you with me today. Chester, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Hey, everybody. That's Alan Graham, president, CEO, and founder of Mobile Loaves and Fishes. Uh, he's just been doing some great work. If you haven't had a chance, you got to check out his book, Welcome Home or Welcome Homeless, One Man's Journey of Discovering the Meaning of Home. Uh, I hope that you guys will check that out. I also hope that you'll connect with him on his social network and that you take a moment to connect with me if you get a chance as well. And until next time, I hope you'll just keep learning, keep leading, keep living, and doing great things. And we'll look forward to having you back in the next time. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Leader Byte Podcast, bite-sized conversations about leadership, learning, and life. Keep the conversation going at ChesterGo.com or on your favorite social media because leadership is a conversation worth having.